What are some seemingly good beliefs that actually harm your recovery? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. going to be a good, interesting one today, Brandon, and a lot of what I would say probably dialectical thinking that we're going to maybe describe Ooh, what that you're is. you're using big words right off the yeah. bat. Uh, you know me, that's one of my favorite words. It makes me sound smart. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm going to read a review for us. We actually got three new reviews this week, so thank you guys to the reviews that are coming in. Uh, this one is from MJMCD, and it's just really short. It just says Lifesaver. It says, this podcast is helping me keep my sanity. Thank you for your calm insight and wisdom. So you're welcome. And thank you for the review. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, well, Tyler, should we dive right in? I think... Uh, yeah, let's do it. We could take one of these and turn turn it into an episode. So we'll see how far we get. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to get as many as we can. These are actually... This will actually be good because we've had a bunch of other questions come through that we never quite get to answer. So this might be kind of like a rapid fire where we briefly answer three or four types of questions inside this one episode instead of just breaking down one question, which which might have some benefit to it. Yeah. But bef before we start, I think uh, we should speak to that some of these things are kind of confusing. And um, when, when you're stuck in some real black and white thinking, um, it's hard to see through that and to sit in some of the gray that we're going to talk about here. And before you just jump to, oh, I disagree with that, try to sit in what we're saying when we explain the principles behind the answers to, to some of these questions that we're going to pose. Um, because um, I, I see it all the time, Tyler, when I run groups or I meet with clients and, and it, there's a, a principle of truth that I know that they they need to move forward in their recovery and they're feeling stuck and in trying to explain that principle of truth, so many other kind of agreements and shoulds and beliefs are in the way that they can't quite get there to accept and understand this truth that is so important to move forward. And we're just going to try to speak to some of these things and to, to break them down a little bit so that, so that you can understand them and you can understand how important they are in moving forward in recovery. This is where this is where that talk about dialectics comes in, Brandon, where whatever we're going to talk about today doesn't necessarily mean we're discounting whatever might be on the other side of it. It means that there might be truth on both sides of it. Yeah. Right. So and so so the yes. goal is to find the truth in both sides of it. So whatever we say is going to have some truth in it. And there's going to be this instant pushback because it's not common. It's not the common way of thinking in recovery. And, and there's also some truth on that side of it too, but we're trying to figure out how to glean more truth so that, you know, recovery is a, is a messy process. It's not black and white. And in fact, people who live in that black and white thinking often really struggle in recovery because, because they're trying to, they're trying to make things black and white that just aren't black and white a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you, you call it dialectic. Um, and I think, so 
actually, I'll give you the honor because you love this so much to explain <laughs> <laughs> what a dialectic is. <laughs> You've done it many times, but quickly, so, what is a dialectic, Tyler? Just so you can you, get it out of the you, way. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like you're like, okay, Tyler, like knock it off. Like let's get back to where I want to go with the episode. <laughs> so, so yeah, so a, a dialectic is it. it is basically this idea that there are two things that seem to be in opposition to one another and you feel like you have to choose a side on either one when in reality the dialectic is finding the kernel of truth in both sides and seeing how to synthesize those things or fuse those things together. So yeah. it's finding the kernel of truth in in what seem to be opposing ideas. That's a dialectic. So I I mean I I I use the word paradox a lot and when something's paradoxical I think a dialectic and a paradox are different, but they oftentimes feel the same. So a paradox is when something is true or works a certain way, but it feels like it shouldn't. It's like backwards. Yes. And it, it doesn't feel right, but somehow it works. Yeah. It's like um, it's like when you have freezing cold hands in the wintertime and your a fingers start to ache when you come inside and you put your fingers in in cold water instead of hot water to help warm yourself up and suffer less. Yeah, that's a paradox. Because if you put it in hot water, it would hurt yeah, so bad. Right? Yeah, that's a that's a great example of a paradox. And I could give a few more, but but that's what a paradox is. And so I think when you're holding a dialectic, it can oftentimes feel like a, a paradoxical thing because it it seems like these should it shouldn't work this way, um, but somehow in some way it does. Yeah. So. So Tyler, let's get into some of these because I think understanding these are critical for moving forward in, in, in recovery, both for the betrayed, both for the person struggling with addiction. Right. Um, you were, you were telling me about one right before we started the episode. Why don't we start there? Okay. Yeah, I have a few of them. Um, but I was, I was running a group a couple weeks ago and, um, I was talking about positive regard and having positive regard for your partner um, whether you're, it's your ex-partner or your current partner, but still having positive regard. And I said something like this. I said, it, it, it will bless your life if you, instead of believing that they're a monster and that they're horrible and they're awful, that you believe that they are doing the best they can and have always done the best they can with what they've, they've got. Right. Um, and it ruffled some feathers <laughs> Uh, in the group, um, especially amongst the betrayed partners who said that they weren't doing the best they could. They were failing. They were failing me as a spouse, as a husband. They were failing and they were hurting me. And um, I tried to explain this paradox of it's helpful to believe that they were doing the best that they, they could then. So untangle this one for me, Tyler. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, this is a hard one, Brandon. I think first and foremost, the thing that where you're probably getting the pushback from is, is that when you say that, it sounds like you're letting the person who's done the damage off the hook. It sounds like in some ways, some people would say that you're actually like, almost like blaming the person who's been betrayed for their own pain and suffering. And yeah. so that's, so which I'm not, no, doing, no, but that's what it feels yeah. like. That's what it, that's what it can feel like, I think. So that's probably what you're getting the pushback on. Right. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, a lot of betrayed partners when I say that, 
um, it's like, ugh, like, uh, I don't like when he yeah. says that. <clears throat> um, and, and you're absolutely right, Tyler. The defenses to that, to that kind of teaching positive regard come because it's like, well, it's not, it's not okay. What was done to me? Um, don't justify it. Don't rationalize it. And there absolutely are consequences. And I think here's, here's kind of the paradoxical nature of it is you can see the good in someone and still be boundaried, still hold firm to your truths. And there's still consequences in the things for the things that they do. Yes. Um, right. Yes. The, the, the benefit to what you're saying, Brandon, and this is hard, this is really difficult place to get to because it takes a process to get there. But if I see my partner who's hurt me with positive regard, it allows me to suffer less. It allows me to have clearer thinking and it still allows me to set the boundaries that I'm going to need to set to protect myself. So in no way am I diminishing the need to, to protect myself or set my boundaries. What I'm doing is I'm alleviating myself from an added layer of suffering because I'm living in this space of negativity on top of the fact that these things have already been done to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but Tyler, what, what you just did is called out people who are stuck in anger. And I think if, when they're, when they're in that anger and then we have a conversation like this, it's kind of like, screw you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, don't tell me, don't tell me to like think all these wonderful thoughts about my partner who has hurt me. I have a right to feel angry. Yes. And the fact of the matter is, is you do have a right to feel angry. And the fact of the matter is, is working through that anger to get to a place of compassion for your partner who has hurt you um, doesn't mean that you're going to set yourself up to get hurt again. It actually means that you're going to set yourself free. Uh, and, and and it's I know that's hard to hear, but there's there's truth there. Um, the, did did they teach you in school? Did they teach you the strengths based perspective, mm-hmm. where basically? as a therapist, they teach you that when your client comes in and let's say their, their life is a wreck and they're making horrible decisions and doing awful things for, as a therapist, it's a, a good tool of practice, principle of practice to find the good first, to see their humanity, to, um, to understand why they're doing what they're doing, not to condone what they're doing, not to tell them to keep go go keep going and doing that thing, but to start with that strengths based perspective of seeing, wow, you're a survivor. You found found a way to to do this or do that. Like you're there's there's some strength behind what you're doing somewhere. That's yeah um, yeah that's right? that's right. And, and if you look at it from the the DBT model, which back to dialectics, is that the therapist is supposed to meet every client from this very first dialectic, which is. Every client that comes in the door is doing the best they can with what they have to work with and they need to do better. And, and the yes. therapist has to meet that client with acceptance first of where they're at, unconditional positive regard, understanding that they're doing their best and in doing so you build trust so that you can push for change. Right. 
But, but I think it's easy to do as a therapist and as a betrayed partner, it's 10, a hundred <laughs> times well, harder. Yeah. Right. So, but yet the principle is still, it's still true. true. You know, we kind of, we kind of broke down Will Smith a few weeks ago on our podcast and I, I maybe want to just throw a shout out to Will Smith for a different video that he's done on the internet where he talks about, you know, fault versus responsibility. And he talks about when we've been hurt by somebody, we can't, we can't control that. It's, we want them to suffer. We want them to feel pain. We want justice served. But at the end of the day, the pathway to freedom is to accept our responsibility that even though we can't control what was done to us, we do have control over our response. And our response can either lead to greater, deeper suffering and pain, or it can lead us to freedom. But we have that control already built into us and we're, we give that away if we stay in those places, which are normal stops, anger and depression and denial and all those things. Those are normal stops when we've experienced those kinds of things, but we don't have to stay there. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, God set this up for a reason. It's, it, it feels really unfair. Somebody's done something to me, you're hurt me. And now you're telling me that I have to take responsibility for for where I go with it and for what my I do own with actions, uh, for my mm-hmm. own actions. And, but I, I really like that word responsibility, respond, the ability to respond. Um, and, and, and what I love about that is it still allows me to have the power to choose um, on a, on a, on an emotional, spiritual level, how I respond to anything in my life. And Viktor Frankl has proven that to be true. Um, and so, yes, I know this might be hard to hear. Um, hopefully it's food for thought for anybody who's listening and they're like, I totally disagree, or this is really triggering me. Um, just, just process it. Think about what we're actually saying. Our goal is not to victim blame and not to make anybody feel bad. Who's stuck in a place of the grieving process of anger. Like that's okay that you're there. Um, but our goal is to push you to set you free so that you can move forward in your recovery. That's exactly right. So, all right, Tyler, do you, do you yeah, have another, here's one? another one that we, we, some, I think we addressed in past episodes, but it's one that frequently comes up and it's like, traditionally, this has been one of the ways that the recovery world has worked. And I don't think we, either you or I agree with it, that if I have a sexual addiction, the best way that I can make sure that I get into recovery is, is that I can shut down my sexuality. I need to I need to turn my sexuality off in order to be in recovery. Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> you say that about everything, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is such a good one though. Because the the, the pathway to um freedom and to actual healthy control over your sexuality is not through rejection and not not through shame. Um, it's actually through acceptance. And, and so it feels really backwards of this, this thing that's harming me and our relationship and those things. I need to stuff that down. I need to shut it down. I need to stop it. I need a white knuckle. I need to force sobriety. Uh, that's what I need to do in order to make this right. And you know what that leads to, Tyler? It leads to sexual anorexia, shame, non-acceptance, and usually the continued cycle yep. of addiction. Relapse. Yeah. yeah. It, le- it, it, it Either sexual anorexia or relapse 
um, what it doesn't lead to is actual recovery. And so what are we suggesting, Tyler? Yeah, so what we're not suggesting is, is that you continue to leave your addiction unchecked. Like here's, <laughs> but here's, here's where I think we're trying to go with this is that when I can, when I can come to an understanding that I do have a problem, that I have probably been misusing this drive, the sexual drive, my procreative powers, whatever, the tendency is to swing all the way to the other end of the spectrum and say, I'm going to shut it down. When in reality, what we need to do is acknowledge that it's just been being mistreated and, and it needs to be, yes. there does need to be something done differently. I need to actually embrace the fact that I'm a sexual being and that I have caused a lot of damage because I haven't used it properly. And then I need to learn how to bridle those things into a place where it, they can serve the purpose they were designed for in terms of connection with other people and, and part of being a human being. But sexuality is so fraught with messages of shame of, of you know, if you're sexual, you're being bad. Um, if you look after a woman um, at all, then you're committing adultery in your heart. Um, it, you know, it, it's, and it's on both ends, both for men and women. And here's, here's a, a story real quick. So my son loves Minecraft and all he <laughs> wants to do is come home from school and like hurry and go play Minecraft. And, and every day I'm like, no, go do your homework. Nope. Let's go play outside. Go jump on the tramp. Like, but all, he just wants to play Minecraft. And um, I, I have a friend who's a professional video gamer. Um, he loves video games, but he's a really productive member of society and just a, a, a really, you know, functional adult, like doing really well in life. Right. And so I was asking him, I'm like, Hey, like my son loves Minecraft. My 11 year old son. Um, how, if you were me, how would you handle it? You know, you play, you played a ton of video games. He's like, you know what? Don't just go to him and say, don't. But go to him and, and, and stop for a minute and realize why does he love Minecraft? What's inside of him that, that he, he loves Minecraft? You know, and, and I, I said, well, Minecraft makes no sense. It's got horrible <laughs> and, graphics hey, and there's no, like, I, that's the stupidest <laughs> game ever, you know? <laughs> He's like, but think about it. He's like, I'm not a Minecraft fan, but think about what you do. You build. You create. You explore. Yeah. You create. Like that's innately in your son. So, so instead of going to him and to just say, don't stop for a minute and say, wow, like it, that's cool that you want to build, that, that you want to explore like that part of you that's in you. That's amazing. And so we start there before I go to, nope, you, you can never play Minecraft. Same thing with our sexuality. Now this is, gets really uncomfortable, right? Because you know, we all have our arousal. You're about ready Tyler. to say something that not a lot of people are going to like. You're going to like do the same thing you did with your son. You're going to say, that's cool that you want to go do X, Y, and Z sexually. But, but that's yeah. not what you're saying. Okay. And I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say that's cool. <laughs> but, but I would say that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Huh. You have that arousal template. So let's say, let me use an extreme example, Tyler. Let's say that I, that I'm stressed out at work. Tyler was mean to me on, on the podcast episode. I had a rough day, just so stressed out. 
And I just want to drive home this certain way so that I can stop by the strip club on my mm-hmm. way home. Okay. So I get in my car and I notice that thought and I notice that urge and I notice that desire to go to the strip club. Right. So in this moment, I have a choice to love and accept myself or to reject myself. Okay. Rejection would be, you better not. You suck. I can't believe you're going to do that. Shut that down. Why Mm -hmm. would you even think that? As opposed to compassionate curiosity with myself. Huh. That's interesting. I'm having that thought right now. I do want to go to the strip club. I desire that right now. And I'm not going to pass judgment about myself, how horrible I am or whatever. I'm just going to sit in. That's fascinating for me. Huh? What's going on? Well, I'm a little, I'm a little hurt by what Tyler said. I'm a little stressed, but at work, it makes sense why I'm wanting to go numb out and escape. I totally get why I want to do that. And that's okay that I want to go do that. Exactly. it's okay to acknowledge right. that I have those thoughts, that I have those feelings, that I have those drives, that I even understand what I'd be pursuing. Like what you're doing is you're walking down the pathway of awareness and mindfulness to say, oh yeah, I'm stressed and anxious and I, this is a way that I've numbed out in the past. That's why, I, that's why that part of me is so like, like amped up and tuned on right now, right? It also doesn't mean you end up at the strip yes. club. It, it, it actually is going to help me yeah. not end up at the strip club. When I'm that, I might say, wow, I notice it's there. It's interesting. I'm going to call my buddy from my group. I'm going to use this tool because I know that it's there. I'm sitting mm-hmm. in the fact that it's there. You can't be that curious and aware, Tyler, if you're, if you're judging yourself and if you're rejecting yourself because you're going to amp up parts of your brain that go into this fight or flight response and they're amping up the juices yeah, to go act out. That's the tightening down, the white knuckling you know, that then ends up causing the response to continue to grow. Right. Um, I, I I remember, I I remember a few years ago going over to teach a lesson in, uh, in church, uh, about 20 minutes away from my house. And on the way there, there's this like really, really like this gas station that has these amazing chicken fingers, like the best chicken fingers you could find. And and you know me, I'm a hot lamp guy. (laughs) So like, you introduced me <laughs> to those. So You're so good. proud of them. They're so good. So <laughs> here I am. And, and for me, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting. It's a fast Sunday for us where we fast. And so I'm not eating, but I'm driving over to teach the porn lesson in church. And as I'm driving over there, I was just overcome with this like sexual urge, this trigger, like, oh man, like I want to, I want to act out so bad right now. And I stopped myself and I said, what's going on right now? I said, what, why would I possibly be feeling this so much right now? And I thought, well, what does this it, have to do? With it does fingers? actually, um, it does. So, okay, so okay. I'd actually thought, okay, physically what's going on? Well, I didn't sleep well last night because my daughter was sick and she woke up a couple of times and now I'm fasting and I'm driving past the Riverside gas station where there's chicken fingers. My mouth is watering and I'm hungry. And I have this, I have a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with these things and I'm going to teach the porn lesson in church. And if you know, if you ever done that, Brandon, which you have, it's like you, they introduce you and half the people look directly at the floor and the other half of the people are like, dang, what did I, what am I doing here? And they're like looking for the exits. And then you go, yeah, we're going to talk about <laughs> porn today. And everybody in church is like, well, what's porn? Like, I don't know what porn is like, you know, so, so now I'm, I'm feeling anxious. Yep. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm breaking this down inside of myself and going, 
okay, I have this massive sexual urge right now, but it's not even sexual right now. It's anxiety, it's tiredness, and it's the, and it's the food trigger from the hot lamp. And all those things together are culminating in this need for my body to want to cope right now. And as soon as I told myself that, I thought, well, the lesson will be done in an hour. That'll be over with. No more anxiety on the way home. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll stop by and grab some chicken fingers and, uh, then I'll go home and take a nap and everything will be fine. <laughs> it's going to be just fine. And all of a sudden the sexual urge was like, <laughs> just started to dissipate. Like, Oh, <laughs> I don't know. If this is a good example. This, this is what we call the cross addiction, right? <laughs> yes. So, just, like uh, so I still probably over. need to figure out how to cope with my stress yeah. a little bit differently. Right. But it's, but to your point, if I shut right. that down or if I judge myself and be like, oh my gosh, Tyler, you're the biggest dirtbag. You're going to teach a lesson in church and you're having a sexual urge. Like, how dare you? How blasphemous? You know, like, well, actually, right. it just is what it is. It's just a feeling. It's a feeling that comes up right. from time to time. And I don't have to act on it, but I sure could learn from it. Right. Right. Um, I... I've gone and taught those lessons. I'm, you got me thinking about teaching those lessons. And uh, you know me, I like to kind of sit no. in the awkwardness and uncomfortableness. And the, well, and so one of the lessons I went into, and I, uh, let me tell you a couple stories real quick. I went into a lesson. It was just, it was men. And I, I said, it was about 60 men. And I said, hey, anybody who's had a, a thought about wanting to have sex with one of the girls in, in church here, Will you please raise your hand? Yeah, thanks. That way to go, Brandon. You got zero hands to raise. <laughs> no, no. I so so we had the one brave soul raise his hand. And and then guess what? When he raised his hand, the kid next to him raised his hand. Next thing you know, the full crowd, every single one of them was raising their hand. Um I went into my uh, I taught another lesson and and I said I said most everybody in here actually really enjoys sex it's it's very it's something that we all really much enjoy and get a lot of pleasure from i started my lesson like that in church and and uh and i said there's a couple pregnant women here so somebody's having sex um and i was kind of being tongue-in-cheek but i was i was making this point like look we're going to talk about this because it's reality and it's funny i got this thing sent to me this morning and it was from B it was this thing about BYU Idaho's anatomy class and how they have these anatomy pictures of of men and women and they block out the private parts so that the college students can't see these car they're I mean they're they're not real pictures of people but in college they're blocking out the penis and the vagina and the breasts and you know and here's my point when I go into church and I say these things, maybe a little irreverently, or when they block those things out, what am I, what am I fighting against, Tyler? You're fighting against sort of that like rigid, like shut down culture that we're talking about, where it's like you make it so taboo that the tabooness actually makes it less effective. Yeah. And, and it's that sexuality is bad, is that it's just mm -hmm. bad. It's scary. It's something that we need to you know, very, very much fight against. And, and it's, it's, it causes problems for our clients. It, it, it really does both, both for the, 
for the women as much as the men, like the, the women feeling guilt about their sexuality and, and accepting that and accepting pleasure and being okay with it. I could go on and on with this one, Tyler. But the pathway to freedom is through facing reality. And the reality is, is we all are sexual beings. We all have arousal template. We all are designed to be sexual. That's reality. So we got to start there and stop with this, these programs that try to force somebody to not be sexual is actually shooting at this target that doesn't even exist and causing more shame and more problems that drive a sex addiction. Right. And, and I would say that maybe, and maybe when you've, when you've, when you've lived in a way where you have mistreated that power, there's, there's some room to, to rewire that a little bit by setting some limits and some bottom lines and things that we talk about in recovery, but it should be done with the heart of cultivating health, good health, instead of just shutting it down. A heart of self-acceptance. The, the structure is good, Tyler, like you're saying, like, you know, I, I love to eat jelly donuts. It doesn't mean all day long I'm going to eat jelly donuts just because I love to eat jelly donuts. <laughs> <laughs> like I can have some restraint. I can have some structure. I can have some boundaries with myself and I need to for my health. Right. Um, so that needs to be there. But we got to start with that, so, that self-acceptance of reality. Yeah. That 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 you wanting to have jelly donuts means you're going to have to come to some conclusions about what's healthy for you. Yeah, yeah, but there's no with, shame with in loving desire. a jelly donut, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a lot of fun. I'm I'm enjoying this. Do, okay. I, I got some more. Do you have more? Do another one, Brandon. Let's do one more. Let's do another one. All right. So here's one for you. Um, in order to rebuild trust in my relationship, I need, uh, let's say I've betrayed my partner. I need to just be really, really, really nice and not cause any contention and not have any boundaries. I've seen, that's, I've seen therapists teach this by the way. That's the way that I pay my penance, so to speak. Yeah. I've done the, I've done all the damage in the relationship. So I have to purposely put myself in the one down position and just bend to the whim of anything that my partner would want to show how sorry I am and to show that I want to be a good person and that, that I still want to repair things. That that somehow is a good and righteous thing to do to make it right. Right. What What's so, the flaw in that? Okay. So, well, well, let's talk about what might be the benefit in that first, even though it's being played out in an unhealthy way. The benefit is, is that it, there's some semblance of at least attempt at humility to say, hey, look, I realize I messed up and I realize I want to try to make it right. And and anyone who messes up and, and the process of like reconciliation and forgiveness includes reparations if you can make them right. So. So, yeah, you should be humble. You should realize that you've caused some pain and some damage and, and you should be open to like doing whatever you can to try to help facilitate a rebuild of trust. Uh repair of whatever the damage is that's been done. The problem is that if the way that you go about doing that is by diminishing yourself and sacrificing yourself, you will inevitably hit a wall in the relationship because every partnership wants a partner and you won't be an equal partner. You'll actually be putting yourself in a perpetual state of being the one down, which then means you're being seen as a child, which then means 
your partner's annoyed with you sometimes because of it. And then you're also diminishing your own self-respect, which doesn't allow you to step into the relationship with full strength. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, with, with my kids who have been fighting with each other a lot lately, um, we started a rule at our house. It's called be kind first. So put, put the filter through being kind first before you make any decision. <laughs> and the, the, the reality is, is be kind first doesn't mean that I, I am dishonest, that I sacrifice myself. Um, so yes, absolutely. You start with humility and kindness if you want to rebuild trust and, and, and repair things. But let's look at the very nature of betrayal for a second. When usually, in my experience, Tyler, and doing this for so long, the betrayal really happens because somebody is manipulating reality. They're, they're acting like one thing's happening, but another thing's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And so they're hiding an affair or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the partner gets, gets just lambasted with reality. Bam! Ouch! Well, so... Why would we apply that same thing to rebuilding trust? So you following me? Yep. Yeah, like maybe you could speak to that. Like what am I saying? Well, you're basically saying if you're not living with authenticity in order to repair the relationship that you damaged because you weren't living with authenticity, where are you headed? Hello? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so here I am scared of my partner's reaction, response um, to, to who I really am. And so I'm going to fake it. I'm going to pose. I'm going to not be who I really am. And so th that's triggering your partner over and over and over again. And, and what they're not getting is, is strength. They're not getting actual integrity from, from a person. Um, you cannot rebuild trust without honesty. That's right. So you don't have to be a jerk to be honest. You can be a kind, compassionate, empathetic, honest person and that space is where you show strength. That's the combo is the empathetic humility and honesty. And that's a hard place to find, you know, but I think, I think it goes even a step further, Brandon. It's like, you've had clients like this too, but I've had multiple clients who will come like, let's just say it's, it's my men's group and they come and they've done the betraying. They've been the ones that have hurt their wives and um, they come in and they'll report something like, yeah, my wife told me to F off today or my wife actually hit me today in the face, smacked me in the face just because she was so mad at me because she got so triggered. And, and then they say things like, well, you know what? I, I deserved it. Like, it's OK. Like, it, I, I deserved it. You know, mm -hmm. um, are you helping things go right by allowing yourself to be treated that way? No. And, and then, and are you actually loving your wife if you allow or encourage those things? Right. The answer is no, you're not because, because any type of, you know, it's this whole Buddhist concept that says, you know, that everything is so interconnected that if you harm anything, you also harm yourself. Or if you harm yourself, you harm everything. And so if, if we live as people who have values, you know, let's say I'm a betrayed partner and occasionally I have this big, massive trigger and I want to like lash out, yell, scream, whatever, anger, whatever it is. If I act on those things and I end up calling my partner a name or I end up smacking him in the face or something, it feels good in the moment, but it also betrays my own values. And in doing so, 
it doesn't help because it then adds more shame to the equation and shames the thing we're trying to move out of the equation. And so as a partner who actually loves my wife, I'm going to be do the loving thing. If I can say, Hey, I can tell you're in a really bad spot right now. And there's a lot of pain there. I know I've caused a bunch of that. And we're not going to be able to continue to talk about this if that's how it's going to go right now. Tyler, what if that honesty leads to divorce? Well, it, I mean, if it leads to divorce because because over time after people settle down and it's just a, a set of values that don't line up anymore, then then unfortunately that's probably the pathway that's best, right? Yeah, yeah. So if, you know, if this is an extreme example, but every time I walk in my front door, my wife smacks me. Um, and I'm like, well, that doesn't work for me. I can't come home. I can't keep staying in this house if you keep hitting me. Um, eventually, let's say she she does she says, I don't care. You deserve this. I'm I'm get like, it, it's good for her and good for me and good for our children for me to say I I really have to love myself enough to be boundaried with you here and to be yeah. honest with you. And if it, I don't want to get divorced. Um, but if you like, I can't be married to you if this continues and it's the same principle of boundaries on the other end, right? Yeah, like if, both if, sides. The, if the addiction keeps going and, or whatever, both sides, it's both sides. It's good, um, healthy boundaries. It's a healthy principle of a, of a good relationship and, and that will rebuild trust in a relationship, not acting in your shame and weakness and by the way, that person who does that, who is who is just really compliant and really nice and does their best at church and does their best in the, in the home and shows their spouse all the time how wonderful they are, they're a manipulating liar. <laughs> Unless they're really that wonderful. Yeah. But, but if they're doing it, if they're doing it with the intention to try to get their partner to see how wonderful they are. It's a performance. And they're not, yeah, it's a performance and they're not doing it because that's who they really truly are. They're a manipulating liar. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And, and that, that won't work to rebuild trust in a relationship. That's right. Yeah. Well, Brandon, a good conversation today. I imagine that we've got most likely a lot of people who are listening to this got some wheels turning Maybe you got come on our show. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you got some responses. Maybe you got some things to just sit and think about. But hopefully, it's been valuable to just just get your mind thinking a little bit. Maybe just a little bit differently than it typically does, and uh, and see what see what feels true. You know, Tyler, there's there's kind of a level of recovery and a process. And when you when you've been in crisis and and it's just the world is spinning all around you. Um, sometimes recovery work is just simply doing some, some safety work to get the crisis to stop. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we talk about these type of things, you know, I I call it like a higher level recovery. It's, it's understanding these principles on, on a heart level, not just in your head and then living those principles and realizing how much these things actually set you free. Mm -hmm. And, and I just want to say to, to people listening, that it's okay if you're in the early stages of recovery and you're not quite there yet. Uh, when we talk about these things, keep doing your work and you'll get It's there. just a process. It really is a process. And we're just talking about some principles that, that we know to be helpful. And that's, it's okay to be wherever you're at in the process. Yep. 
All right, you guys, if this was helpful, then please leave us a review. We, we love your reviews and don't be afraid to share it. And we'll, we'll talk to you next Thanks, time. Thanks, guys. Bye.